Lorry I had a great chat with Laurie today. We covered topics such as the opportunities in Japan for British companies, the sector opportunities, I picked Laurie's brains on her tips for success for business in Japan, and we also asked how the chamber can be of help to UK companies. I very much hope you will find it enjoyable and useful. And without any further ado, we bring you Laurie Henderson, MBE. Hello and welcome to this latest in the series of our podcasts here at Export to Japan. And I'm delighted today to have a very special guest with us. Laurie Henderson, MBE, is the Executive Director of the British Chamber of Commerce in Japan. And we're here to learn about all the wonderful work that the Chamber does, and in particular, learn why British companies should consider to engage with the Chamber and become members. So, Laurie, welcome to the Export to Japan podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's our pleasure. Great, great to have you on board. Maybe to get things rolling, Laurie, you could tell us a little bit about the um, background of the Chamber, how long it's been in existence, and uh, a little bit about its structure and how it works, please. So, the BCCJ, the British Chamber of Commerce in Japan, is what we refer to as a 70 year old startup, Steve. It's been in market <laughs> since uh, 1948 wow. when. Uh, five post-war pioneers decided that Japan needed an injection of uh, British as well as uh, US expertise uh, when it came to post-war reconstruction efforts. So the chamber was established loosely in 1948 and went on to be recognised officially by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in 1952 when we were given a, a piece of parchment uh, decorated in beautiful ornate Japanese handwriting uh, that said, welcome to Japan and you're very welcome to operate here. <laughs> Since then, we've grown to a network um, of almost 200 member companies mm -hmm. representing almost 40 industries, in fact. Wow. And we're just about to celebrate our 70th anniversary this okay. year. Okay, congratulations. 70 years. That's good going. Right? It is indeed. I haven't been around that long. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. You Only for like the past enough. seven right. years, Steve. <laughs> Now, have um, the, the members that you've got, so you said around 200 companies now, and they're, they're all British companies or, or, or Japanese companies with a strong connection in, in the commerce world with, with the UK. Is that, is that, would that be fair to say? That's right. About 90% yeah. are UK capital firms. Right. And what that means for us is uh, the big players in the market that your audience would recognise, the Rolls-Royce, British Airways, um, GlaxoSmithKline, Unilever and so on, those multinational corporations as well as SMEs and small to medium companies that have been set up in Japan by British folks. Right, got it. 
by Brits. Yeah. And the other 10% are Japanese capital firms. Right. And they are mainly the larger players in the market. Mitsubishi, Mitsui, ah, okay. JR Central and got so on. Got it, got it. Okay. Now, I, I, I intend to come on a little bit later to sort of some of the benefits and the reasons why British companies join the Chamber. But, but I guess immediately that's one point to highlight. So in some ways through joining the Chamber, it is a great sort of networking platform, not only to, to meet with other British companies that are out here, but also some of the big Japanese players as well that you mentioned. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And the, the main thing that we do, the most visible thing that we do is provide a platform for business exchange exchange and networking mm -hmm. and that's through our events program right so we're busy hosting 40 events per year whoa they vary in size 40 per year that's oh, right okay. that's right um Maybe. from you know 350 black tied attired guests sitting down for the british business awards each november um right across the spectrum to 10 to 15 people at a, a round table discussion about the impact of brexit Mm. on their operations in Japan, for example, okay. and everything in between. How does it work for your members, Laurie? If a company becomes uh, a member of the British Chamber of Commerce in Japan, how many events are they allowed to attend? Can they attend them all? Or ha how does that work? Could you just elaborate a bit more on that, please? They can attend them all. We have four levels of membership at the Chamber, platinum, corporate, entrepreneur and individual. And regardless of whether you are a large multinational corporation or an individual member with an interest in UK-Japan relations, you can access our events programme throughout the year. So you're invited to attend all sessions that we wow. host. And you're even invited to recommend speakers and topics for sessions that we host too. And the magic really happens, I believe, when members come forth to the Chamber office with suggestions about what they want to see covered and what they believe are the big ticket items for the UK and Japan that year. Got it, yeah. And do, does that happen frequently? Is that how you structure a lot of your future events? It does. Yeah. It does. Okay. And particularly in the wake of the Brexit decision, uh, members have come forth to say, you know, my firm needs its own voice now mm. in the Japan market. Mm. Um, our industry would like to have a collective position on a particular um, advocacy point, for example. Or perhaps they just want to feel like they're part of something uh, bigger than mm. simply their own firm. Gotcha. And I think in these days of very volatile global circumstances, Chambers of Commerce have an even more important role to play in, in bringing businesses together yeah, to have important on. conversations. Yeah, I've got that. Okay. Just to take one small step back, Laurie, I think it's important that we just uh, help everybody understand how how you are actually an organisation. So you, you, are you run on a not-for-profit basis? Is that correct? Or would that be right to say? That's right. Yes. Yeah. okay. The Brits and the Americans in 1948 were given this very special dispensation from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to set up as not-for-profit enterprises. So everything that we do is uh, on a not-for-profit basis. Okay. All of our activities and events are funded by membership dues that are paid at the beginning of the fiscal year, in our case, April. Right. And we spend our money very frugally on three members imagine. of staff and, and an office and our events programme, of course. And by the end of the year, we are back to zero in the bank, just oh, like any right. good not-for-profit organisation. Okay. So that's how we've been run for the past 70 years and how we intend to continue. That's great. But I guess that does mean you are dependent on those member companies staying with you every year and of course new ones coming in I guess there'll be some natural turnover and you obviously want to grow and expand so it's important that you do get those new new member companies coming in and joining joining the chamber absolutely and the, the chamber at the moment is enjoying its record number of members so we're at almost a thousand in total 
across our 200 member companies. And with that great achievement comes some challenge Mm -hmm. because how do you engage a thousand members? You know, we've gone from five gentlemen in 1948 to uh, now a much more demanding market, can we say, Uh, more opportunities to connect with your uh, constituents and more demand from from those constituents too. Okay, excellent. Very good, very good. Okay, well, let's move on a little bit, Laurie, now to talk about uh, Japan itself and, and in particular linking that to UK companies that may be doing business here or, or some of our listeners may be considering to do business here. So could you just give us a very brief run through of what you would consider to be sort of some of the bigger ticket items currently that you're thinking about or the chamber is thinking about for, for the Japanese market? For us, one clear area of opportunity for UK firms entering the market is to support Japan with its globalisation efforts. So Japan as, as the world knows uh, through media reports, is looking at a long-term trajectory towards a very shrinking domestic market. And Japanese companies are looking to expand their operations overseas um, through a broad spectrum of industries, I suppose, through m mainly, but also engaging with foreign partners in the Japan market. And the largest challenge, I think, for these companies is to attract and retain good global talent. Mm. that can manage their operations successfully. So if you look at um, big Japanese firms like Rakuten, fast retailing, for example, they've introduced English as a corporate language Mm. in Japan. Um, And other companies are looking to do the same. But how do you train your workforce, not just in English and using English as a a tool for globalisation, but in critical thinking and problem solving and other areas related to kind of developing a global mindset? So I think Japanese firms are looking to operate in an alternative way to make them more global and make them more competitive. And these are areas that the UK can potentially support with. Very good. That's education, you know, training, human Mm. resources, development. Have you actually seen, I mean, I realise it's probably not appropriate to mention particular names of companies, but have you actually seen examples of UK companies that have had some success so far in this sector? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. And those UK companies, they got in early, Right. And uh, the, the ones that I've seen having most success have set up um, small representative offices, having done a little bit of groundwork uh, over the course of, say, a year to 18 months and realised that having a Japanese address on your meishi, your mm-hmm. business card, mm-hmm. really does help um, mm-hmm. in engaging these potential partners. So often the representatives from these HR firms and um, L&D, learning and development firms, will fly in and out, mm-hmm. but they have... A footprint mm. in the Japan market mm. now, and those are the ones that I've seen having enjoyed most success. Okay, so that would really be one of your key takeaway tips for any any company listening into this podcast that are thinking about coming into the Japanese market. That's one clear observation that you've spotted that, that separates the companies that get success versus the ones that maybe are less successful. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Keeping on the big ticket theme, are there any others particularly that that, that come to mind for you right now? We can't ignore Japan's incredible travel and tourism boom, which Mm. has been ongoing for the past uh, five or six years. So as part of Prime Minister Abe's growth strategy, Japan set itself a target and Japan's uh, national tourism organisation set itself a target to welcome 20 million tourists to Japan by 2020. And we all thought, my goodness, that must be impossible. Japan is so far away. 
it's so expensive and you know there's so many cultural and language barriers how is that ever going to be the case but by 2015 the country had welcomed 20 million tourists oh. and we're now on track to welcome 40 million by 2020. I think it's important to mention travel and tourism as another key area yeah, where there definitely. are clearly opportunities for British companies. Let, Laurie, I just want to make sure we, we've got those statistics coming across. That's amazing what I think you just said, but let's just repeat it back to get it. So the target that they originally um, put forward for achieving by 2020 was achieved by 2015, five years early, right? That's right. Within two years of launching the strategy Gosh. Um, to encourage additional tourists to come to Japan. Okay. And that was supported, of course, by um, Prime Minister Abe's weakening of the yen, one of his right. three arrows to his Abenomics Okay, okay. It became easier to come to Japan. Yeah. And the new revised target that they're setting for 2020 is now double the original target. That's right. So they're keeping that plan, the ambitious plan, to keep that growth curve going up. Right? That's right. Okay, so clearly that's going to present all kinds of opportunity and quite a change in the dynamic here in the tourism industry, those kind of numbers that you're talking about. So that's certainly very exciting for UK companies. Um, the other one that I know that, that's cropped up, and I'd be curious to know if you particularly feel there's any great opportunities for UK companies around the sort of whole global sports agenda. Um, do, you, do you have any comment or any feeling there, Laurie? We've been running a global sports programme at the Chamber since 2014 and as we saw it there were three clear ways for UK PLC British companies to get involved with opportunities surrounding uh, the Paralympics and the Olympics in 2020 and also the Rugby World Cup in 2019. Uh, the first way was uh, as a B2B opportunity so firms in the UK looking to sell in services to the organisers of the Games and that could be on stadium build, it could be on cyber security and what you might consider kind of high level B2B and even government to government um, strategic pieces. Other firms uh, were coming in looking at uh, the, the B2C piece, so how do you get your products in front of Japanese consumers around these sporting events that are happening. Mm -hmm. So that might be handbags on a stall mm -hmm. uh, near uh, an event that's that's going on around a particular game or tournament. Um, it could be importing British food or drink and making sure that that's on the right tables when it comes to the Olympics, Paralympics right. and Rugby World Cup. Mm -hmm. And the third opportunity was on the community side of things. So we saw very clearly at the Chamber that the global sporting events that are coming up provide Japan with an excellent opportunity to use the tournaments as a platform for social innovation and workplace change, which maybe I can come on to in a minute. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. In terms of timing, um, Laurie, for, for these sporting events, so I think the Rugby World Cup is 2019 and then the Olympics are 2020. So there's still uh, a couple of years to go. Do you still feel there could be opportunity for new market entrants to still come in and, 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 and take a, a slice of that cake? Or is it a little bit tight now? Should they already have been in the market? What's, what's your sort of feeling on that? My sense is that Japan will look to homegrown talent and firms to deliver successful games. However, there are many opportunities that still remain, yes. Hmm, good, okay. Well, that's encouraging to hear. And I, I really hope there's a good number of the uh, UK companies out there listening to this podcast who, who are thinking about that and, and it encourages them to come in, certainly. 
Okay, let's move on um, a little bit further now. Um, you, you've already given us one very valuable tip from your experience about um, the companies that you've seen come in and be successful. And you mentioned about having sort of some sort of local footprint here. Do you have any other particular tips that you could share with the audience, particularly for those companies that are thinking to come in for the first time into the Japanese market, and it might all be a bit new and a bit daunting for them? Any other little tips that you could add to that of things they should think about or, or, or anything else you've just learned along the way, really, with your experience in your role? This is a small one, but a big one, I suppose, <laughs> um, because I've seen it done well and I've seen it done uh, slightly poorly. And that's when you're coming to Japan, make sure that you have a double-sided name card. Oh, okay. Double-sided business card. So I think in the UK, although I have to admit, um, because I came to Japan quite soon after graduating from university, I've not been a professional as such in the um, in the UK market. But it's certainly very important in Japan to have English on one side and Japanese on the other side of your business card. So take the time to get your name translated into katakana which is the Japanese pronunciation of your name. Right, yeah. So my name's Laurie, and it becomes Rory in Japanese. <laughs> okay. Pretty straightforward. Right. What's your Steve? I'm Steve. 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 <laughs> Excellent. So you know the importance, of, of course, course. To, to showing that you've made an effort even before you land in Japan. Mm. Um, and having your business card translated, although it's such a small thing, and mm -hmm. it might only cost you a couple of pounds, mm. uh, that's, a, that's an indication that you've given some forethought yeah that's a great activities. point yeah and i would hazard a guess too if anyone comes along and happens to overlap with any of your networking events it's always important to bring so many business cards to japan right i've seen examples of people that run out here because it's exchanging business cards is such a frequent thing to do and especially at networking events right it's just amazing how the japanese are so good at doing that it's incredible i mean at the end of any given week at the bccj we have kind of two decks of cards full <laughs> of new connections that we've made. Uh -huh. um, admittedly, you know, we're in the business of bringing people together. So a big right. part of what we do is, is meeting new business connections and connecting them with our member companies. Um, but even if you're coming for a few days, you will definitely need a full deck. <laughs> Bring two boxes, in right. fact. Absolutely, at least. <laughs> Okay, one of the other topics I wanted to just uh, pick your brains on a little bit was you, you mentioned a little bit about the membership that you've got, um, but I also wanted to really get uh, an idea on behalf of our audience of the, the sort of typical size of company that you may be supporting to come into the market. You, you mentioned a couple of the big enterprises and the big sort of brand names that we're all familiar with, but you know, is your membership and the, and the companies that you support, do they tend to be the larger organizations or you know, many of the, the companies that come to export to Japan might be small early stage startups or even some you know, one man band early stage companies. I mean, do, is there a function that you can play to support them too, Laurie? Absolutely. So at the moment, it's, um, I would say, a 50-50 split between the work we do for larger multinational corporations and the work we do for SMEs. Of course, every member company is looking for something very different to be delivered by the BCCJ office. So a large multinational might be looking to engage with the Japanese media more closely or looking for a potential R&D partner or seeking out um, opportunities around... Um, global sports, for example, diversity and inclusion. Smaller companies maybe have more immediate concerns at the co-face of their business, so they want to be introduced to an accountant. They need mm. a lawyer that understands the British and the Japanese landscape. 
um, right the way through to uh, you know needing some British sourced wine for their Christmas party. So there's uh, really no two days are the same at the chamber, and every company is looking for something different. But of course, we tailor our approach depending on what that specific company needs at any given time. Right, got it, got it. Okay, very clear. Thank you. Um, and then finally, the, the next part I really want to, to to go on to is the the particular sectors. I, th- I think a little earlier you mentioned, I can't remember if you gave the number, but it certainly implied that there was a very wide range of sectors that you represent with your membership. But are there, you know, if we try to pick out the, the larger sectors where you tend to see success between UK companies and Japanese companies out here, are there, are there a small number of the bigger ones where you're, you're seeing a lot of success? We're seeing a lot of success in the financial services industry. Hmm. And that was signalled very obviously recently by uh, the signing of an MOU between the City of London and the City of Tokyo. So this is an initiative that's been in the making um, since the Brexit decision was announced and uh, proves that both the City of London and Tokyo and the countries of, of the UK and Japan are pledging stronger bilateral relationship as time moves on. What that means for British firms in the financial services industry is, of course, increased opportunity. Mm, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. So Very financial good. services is one. Yeah. Pharma is another big one. Okay, yeah. That's, I think, a huge one, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And, of course, uh, automotive and, and aerospace, too. Yeah, okay. So there's some of the larger ones that you see. Yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Um I think we're probably coming towards the end of the topics that I wanted to discuss with you now, Laurie. Um, I think sort of coming to the conclusion, you've given a very good overview of of what the Chamber does and how you go about what you do. Um, I guess the final question I would really like to ask you is, for our audience listening into this podcast that have sort of you know listened to you and heard all the good things that you work on at the chamber and all the good things you do if i asked you to summarize the reasons why it would be good for a uk company to become a member of the chamber at whatever level they felt appropriate what would your what would your response be to that laurie in order to remain relevant in any market these days i believe it's really important for your business to be part of something bigger than just operating in its own office space and its own uh, maybe limited ecosystem. So the Chamber can really plug you into a very active and experienced network and ensure that the business that you do going forward is done with the right people and the most relevant people and then the most relevant audiences. So think of the Chamber kind of as a hub, if you like, as a mm, conduit for mm. helping your business make the right connections and market. Um, identifying potential suppliers and partners and also friends Mm -hmm. it's a very um, welcoming place to be Mm -hmm. and although Japan does seem very far away um, and perhaps the barriers in the past have been insurmountable to starting a business here you'll find that the British business community and of course all of our Japanese colleagues that operate here uh, will be very welcoming and are always available to pick up the phone or shoot you off an email to help you on your customer journey mm, that's excellent and I just to sort of re-emphasize that point I have to say because you're probably too far too, far too modest Laurie to say it yourself from my experience with the first company that I set up here in Japan way back in year 2000 so 17 18 years ago now um, I joined the chamber chamber immediately and I've consistently found it a very valuable platform for exactly those reasons that you're you're describing so i would certainly endorse a first-hand experience of exactly what you're you're describing there larry 
Okay. Um, and then very finally, as we wrap up, one thing I always like to ask um, our, our distinguished guests like you, Laurie, people that have had a lot of years of experience in Japan. And, and by the way, how many years have you had so far, Laurie? How long have you been here now? Ooh, almost 14. Wow. Gosh. Half of those have been spent at the BCCJ. That's great going. Okay. So is there anything in particular, if I asked you for one little tip or one little um, item that you'd like to share with the audience that, that has sort of helped you on your journey in Japan, anything in particular that comes to your mind? On my first week in Japan, which was not spent at the chamber, um, but in a very different industry many, many years ago, I was taught a phrase that has served me well almost every day since then. <laughs> and it's an easy one for your listeners to remember and hopefully keep in pocket for when they first touch down in Tokyo. And that phrase is Ichigo Ichie. And <laughs> um, what that means um, as a kind of literal translation is one time, one chance or seize the moment. So every opportunity that you're given in business and life should be taken with as much gusto as you can muster at that, that moment in time. And how I apply that in my business life is to always take the time to accept the phone call and always take the time to accept the meishi, the business card, and take a few moments to ask some meaningful questions of the person that you're with. Always show up to events and pledge your support for the company that's involved and make sure that you follow up with an email of thanks to say that you enjoyed the encounter. And by keeping Ichigo Ichie in mind, I really feel that your listeners can get the best out of any opportunity and any engagement that they have with Japan. Laurie, I think that's an absolute golden nugget that you've just shared with us there and a perfect way to bring this uh, this <laughs> podcast to a conclusion. So thank, thank you so much for sharing that. So... Um, I hope all of you out there have really enjoyed listening to this podcast and it's given you a very good overview of not only uh, the British Chamber of Commerce in Japan and all the good work that the Chamber's doing out here, but but also some you know wider information on the opportunities and the sectors and, and some tips on, on coming into this market and addressing your business. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, Laurie, or the Chamber, do you have a preferred route of how, how you'd like people to, to, to reach out and get in touch? You can check us out on www.bccjapan.com and feel free to drop us a line anytime on info at bccjapan.com. Always happy to hear from new market entrants and always happy to help. Well, that's fabulous. Thank you. And I would certainly just in conclusion, uh, in addition to all the great stuff that Laurie's told us about the work of the Chamber, I would certainly also encourage you very much to have a good look around export to Japan. Um, so much, uh, so many uh, points about the topics that Laurie and I have discussed on this podcast are actually covered in much more depth on export to Japan. So that's another good route for sourcing further information in addition to what we've, uh, what we've discussed on the podcast. So just leaves me once again to thank you so much, Laurie, for your time uh, with us today. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. And, uh, and thank you all um, back at the home there, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Thank you for, for tuning in and stay tuned for further podcasts from Export to Japan. Thank you. If you'd like more information about exporting to Japan or the Japanese market in general, visit exporttojapan.jp. If you have a question for us, send it to info at exporttojapan.jp. Thank you for listening.